Amen. Let's praise God one more time for our Asian fellowship. Amen. 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 I tell you, Lake Avenue Church, boy, we just, I mean, the diversity is overwhelming. Only at Lake Avenue Church have I seen a black Asian singing. Lord have mercy. That's what I'm talking about. Go ahead on, boy. God's unexpected family. Amen. 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 It's one of those jokes that only the black pastor on staff can tell. Um, Don't try to repeat that next. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, Well, we start a new series today um, entitled Here and There. Uh, Here and There. Um, And to launch our series, we're going to turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture, uh, Matthew chapter 28. That's where you can find us this morning, Matthew chapter 28. Begin reading at verse 18. Here and there. When you have it, if you would please stand as we read God's word. Amen. Matthew 28, verse 18. It reads, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age, and this is our Father's word. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I went to Bible college in a small rural area called Florence, Mississippi. There in our Bible college, we would have chapels every week, um, and we would have speakers to come. And over my, you know, five, six years in college... Um, you know, Bible, you can stay long and it's godly, um, Bible college, you know, over, over my tenure there at, at, at Wesley Bible college, I tell you, um, the passage that I'm presenting before you today, Matthew 28, which is very commonly known as the great commission. Uh, I tell you this morning, I heard this sermon, uh, way too many times. Uh, I've heard the text Matthew 28 preached so many times. Every time a missions guy would come or a missions lady would come or, I mean, it's just like all the time we heard Matthew 28, the Great Commission, over and over and over. So honestly, I was so sick of hearing the Great Commission. I was like, we get it. Yo, I mean, I've heard all the Greek. I've heard all the Hebrew. And I ain't even no Hebrew in this text. They just added it after a couple of years. I mean, it's like so much. I was just so over the Great Commission. I was like, we get it. Mission. Yeah. Mission is important. We get it. Mission is significant. Yes. We we should all do it. Yeah. I get it. Mission. Now let's move on to something fun, like a fornication or something. Let's get on to something else. You know, change the subject. Because what the preacher didn't realize is that at that age, as I'm in college, man, I'm not thinking about the mission. 
I'm thinking about my life and my comfort. I'm going to college so I can get me a job so I can set up and have a really nice, comfortable life. It's really not about mission in this season of my life. I'm just trying to get myself situated. I'm just trying to get my life set up and try to get my apartment all nice and cute. I'm trying to pay. I'm trying to get a nice sectional with Italian fabric that's red and real cool. I'm, I'm trying to get my life situation set up. I'm trying to set up my living room. So I'm not focused on the mission. I'm focused on my comfort. I'm trying to be like Mr. Rogers where I come home and say, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood and take my shoes off and flip them up and get home. And I'm trying to put my feet up and rest. I'm trying to enjoy the good life. I'm trying to get everything decorated just perfectly and all situated and get my nice little southern style motif going on. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go to work so I can pay off this couch that I got 12 months, no interest. I got 11 more payments on this thing. I'm not, I'm not focused on mission, but maybe, maybe, yeah, after I get a little bit more settled in my life, mission is important and I'll be able to give that some time. But brother preacher, I'm trying to get a woman to go on this couch with me. I need a wife. Um, I got too much space. Uh, so, so maybe after I get my wife and then I'm sure she's going to want to have to, I, I got to work hard because I hear wives are expensive. Um, so I, I, I got to get a wife and, and get money and then she's, she's going to want to buy shoes and she's going to want to have kids, both having the same priority. Um, so, 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 so we, I, I got some stuff to do in the kids. Well, maybe, maybe after I have the kids, maybe I can have some time for mission. Well, the kids got to, they got to go to school and they move out, but I still pay their bills because they got to go to college. Um, so maybe after they graduate. So, so I really don't have time for mission right now. But as soon as I can get everything comfortable and everything situated, then maybe I'll have time for mission. See, because in my living room, the room in which I live, I really don't have the space or the time or the resources to really go after mission. So while your sermon on the Great Commission is real compelling, and yeah, you went to Africa, but yeah, maybe I'll go to Africa when I retire, and I can go and do some mission, or as we like to call it, Christian tourism. I'd love to go to Africa and see all the little hungry children. Yeah, that'll be nice. Maybe I can go do that one day when I have more than enough. Right now, I'm trying to fit in my living spaces. Am I a Christian, you ask? Of course I am. It's not that I live my life without the cross. It's not that I live the life without the, the significance and the importance of the cross. The cross is very important to me. It's just not in here. It's just over there. Uh, because the cross really doesn't fit in my living room. Uh, catch me because I'm leaving the physical room and I'm going to our living room, the room in which we live. The cross doesn't fit the motif we got going on with our life. The cross doesn't fit. I've got a centerpiece in my living room, but it's not the cross because there are other things. Some of us, the centerpiece of our living spaces is, is the bills. The stack of bills and the anxiety that comes around that. And if we were to look at the centerpiece of your life, what gets the most attention, what gets the most investment, what is the core, it would be the bills that you're spending your life trying to pay. You surround your life with trying to pay these bills. Your bills, your, your life exists around these bills. Even this wonderful couch, you, got, you can't even rest on it because when you lay down, you're just thinking about the big old stack of bills you got to pay and you got to get up off the couch so I can start paying the bills and anxiety. I work to eat. And, and you have this cycle. Some of us, our children, are the centerpiece of our life. 
We're so consumed with them and making sure that they can have this and have that and be at this and be at that to where we really don't have time for ourselves, our couch, or the cross. Because we're so consumed with them. What's in the centerpiece of your living room? What's at the core of who you are? What receives the most attention, the most focus, the most investment in your life? Because I'm certain that that will probably be what the centerpiece of your life is. See, when you have a life where the cross is on the fringe and this is the centerpiece, then there's no way that you can even begin to wrestle correctly with this mission that God has given us. That's why the preacher was such a disconnect because preacher, you're talking to me about the mission of the cross and I'm trying to fulfill the mission of my couch. Because it's about my comfort and my ability to provide for my dreams and the things that I want in my life. Friends, there's something wrong with this picture. We've got to change this centerpiece. Let's, let's do it. Uh, 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 Tom and, and, and my man right here. Hey, how you doing? Come here. Come, come here real quick. You and Tom, y'all, y'all move this table. Y'all move this centerpiece to the side. Kurt and John, would y'all, would y'all grab the cross and let's, let's make some adjustments. Because if you really want to embrace this mission, you have to have some adjustments made in your living spaces. That there have to be some changes made in how you live because you can't live with both of these fully intact. What the preacher was trying to do is he was trying to connect these two and make these two worlds congruent. He was trying to bring this cross into my life. But what I kept telling him was that the cross doesn't fit my motif I got going on up here. Uh, The cross... Because when you make room for the cross in your life, some other things have to be destroyed. Oh, I'm going to preach today. I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach it. Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, and see, see you start freaking out when stuff starts falling off, but sometimes the, requi- the cross requires you to make room. That means some other things have to get out of the way. Somebody say amen. amen. What are the things that are falling off, but you're spending your time trying to catch the broken thing, and you're missing the main thing? Some of you are consumed trying to catch stuff that's falling off, but you're missing the main thing. How many of you are trying to catch up and trying to catch, trying to, trying to catch up with this lifestyle and trying to play, pay the lease on the car and the mortgage on the house, and you're missing the main thing? And maybe you just need to let the car and the house go so that you can embrace the main thing. Oh, the broken table is going to preach this morning. Because some of us, some of you, that's you, and the crisis is there, and it's crazy, and you're so reacting to the broken things... So reacting to those things that are falling off that you're missing the mission that God has called you on. See, you put this cross up in here. It changes my whole living space. It changes the whole living room. And now it completely looks different because before this was about my comfort and it was a comfortable place that I can just come and relax. But now this cross, this big old life-size cross in the middle of my life has totally rearranged my vibe. I got a whole different swag going on up in here now. I know only 30% know what swag is. Hit that up on. I'll look that up or Google that later on tonight. 
But it's totally changed not only how, you, how I see things, but it's changed how you see me because it should be a little harder for you to see Albert Tate now because there's a big old cross in front of him. And when you fully embrace the mission and when the Christ becomes centered in your life, it's a little hard for people to see you because, they got, because you got this big old cross standing in front of you. Some of you, your life is so much about you being seen that they can't experience the cross being seen. Because this mission, before it can be local, before it can be global, before it can be anything else, it has to be personal. And this cross and this mission has to impact my living room. The rooms in which I live, my life, how I live, it has to impact and change how I live. Great Commission says, go ye therefore and make disciples. I love how Rob Bell unpacks this image of disciples. He, he takes us back to when rabbis would have these disciples and they would follow their rabbi. And, and they, their, their greatest desire was to be as much like their rabbi as possible. And he would say that a disciple would say of his rabbi, uh, may, may I be covered in the dust of my rabbi. Implication? I want to walk so close to my rabbi, because back then they would walk on these dusty roads. And I want to walk so close to my rabbi that the dust from his feet would literally cover me. (sighs) Made anybody dusty lately? Idea, we walk so close to Jesus that the dust from Jesus we would be covered in and people would see the dust on our life and say, what is this? And we would go and we would make disciples and we'd grab them and put them as close to Jesus as possible and say, you too can be dusty like me. Just walk close to the rabbi. That we go and make disciples. Text says baptizing them. Implication that they've so identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that they want an outward sign to reflect what's inwardly happening in their souls. I'm so removed. I'm so moved by the power of Jesus Christ that, 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 that there's, there's a death taking place in me. But while I'm dying, I feel like I'm coming alive and I can't explain it. But if a visual image makes sense, I want to be baptized because what I feel on the inside is me dying to my old self and me being brought up brand new and alive in this new thing that God is doing. So I want to go and I want to be baptized because in my soul I feel a death and a resurrection all at the same time. He says, go and you take people and they're so dusty They want to be baptized and then you teach them and you do this to people all throughout the nations. Well, when you get a chance to unpack the the mission like that, you recognize, wow, this mission is not just about how this cross impacts me. It's not just about how much it impacts my living spaces. But this mission, when Christ is centered, you begin to see his mission more clearly. Because with a mission like this, go ye therefore, that means I can't sit up and lay up on the couch. And just take in the cross. Oh, what a wonderful cross in my life. And whoa, Jesus has just impacted my life. No, this mission says that's not enough. The mission says you go therefore because this mission forces you to look outward. It's not only personal, but this mission forces you to go local. 
forces you to look out and to see your community in a whole new way. See, because the main investment, the most significant thing in my life is not this couch, it's the cross. So I'm not going to spend my time trying to invest in things that will ultimately fade away. I want to invest in things that are eternal. So if I'm going to invest in this cross, it says, go ye therefore. And it forces me to go local. And as I go local, it forces me to see things that impact me. My wife and I have been living here for probably a little bit more than a year. We went down to the Westin Hotel, downtown Los Angeles, to celebrate our anniversary. And like often as we do, we got turned around with the directions because we really wanted to go to the Westin, because the Westin, they have these, uh, they have this thing called the heavenly beds. Um, and I'm telling you, uh, they're not in the Bible, but if there was ever an amendment to the Bible... Um, these beds ought to make it in. I'm telling you, they are a blessing to my soul. Albert, is that relevant to the message? No, but just in case you wanted to bless the pastor one Sunday. Uh, just in case you <laughs> So we're driving down trying to find the Western, and we end up on this street, and we start seeing stuff on this street that's just, it's not like anything we'd ever seen before. We saw all these blue tarps, and we, we see these blue tarps, and we see these little tents, and we see... It almost appears to be like a whole, a whole little city, cardboard boxes. And we, we've heard throughout our life, growing up in Mississippi, we had heard about this place called Skid Row. In a few moments, we're in the middle of the street and we realize we are on Skid Row. And I'm telling you, church, it messed us up. Because we see this whole city of people just living out on the streets. And in the backdrop, these, these million-dollar buildings, these huge buildings hovering over. And in the valley, you see literally people living in the streets. And now La Rosa and I are about to go, and we go and we check into a hotel where we have paid money to sleep in a heavenly bed, and just feet away from us are people sleeping on the streets. And I'm telling you, it messed with us. It changed the dynamic of the whole night. We still had a good time. It was our anniversary. We had strawberries. We had ordered some Christian champagne. You know, so we just... We, we had this whole thing going, you know, Christian, was it, was it real? I don't know. I don't know. It was ambiguity. I love it. Um, you know, but, but we, we just had this beautiful night planned. But there was still this tension that we felt. Now, some of you, you've been here a long time and you've done a great job. You've learned how to talk yourself out of that tension. You've learned how to justify that voice. You've learned how to say, well, homeless people are homeless because they want to be homeless and they're just, just them. So you've, you've learned just to quiet that voice and continue about your day as if you've never seen anything, as if nothing ever happened. I hadn't learned how to do that yet and I hope I never will. It was a necessary godly tension that we had to wrestle through. And I'm telling you, I stand here as a pastor today and I still wrestle through it. Because tonight, the stats say that there are about 1,100 people right here in Pasadena who will sleep on the streets. This mission is not only personal, and it doesn't only impact me, but it has to impact how I exist and how I see where I live. 
the classroom. 23 million dollars have been cut from the budget of our school district. 23 million. Implication? K through 3, which usually has the normal ratio of 1 to 20, next year will probably be doubled in size. Just in the last 30 days, some 164 teachers. I had a lady who works in the school district in between services with tears in her eyes telling me, Albert, some of our best teachers, some of our best teachers, 164 of them received pink slips in the last 30 days. And with tears in her eyes, she said, Albert, the best teachers we have. Do, do you know how they... How they, how they decide what size prisons they're going to need and how many beds. They look at the reading of third, and third through fifth graders. And they gauge the amount of prison beds that they will need by how many third through fifth graders that can't read. Because you take a kid that can't read by a certain age, it increases their, their potential of going to prison drastically. Those are the implications of this $23 million. This cross, this mission cannot just stay personal. It has to go local and it has to shape then how we see our city, how we see the issues that are among us. And it forces a tension that is uneasy, that is uncomfortable, that causes us to think, that causes us to have to petition and to pray through and to struggle through. God forbid Christians have to think and struggle and pray. With how do I do this? How do I, how do I rationale because I have a right and I have every right to go to the Westin and have Christian champagne and to celebrate my beautiful marriage? But how do I reconcile that with the tensions that I pass by on the street? And what do I do? How do I wrestle through those two? And I'm sorry, this isn't a sermon filled with a whole lot of answers. I don't know how you fix it in your home. I don't know how you deal with it in your home. But I'm telling you, we are called to struggle and to wrestle and pray through it because at the end of the day, we have to do something. It's not an option, friends. It's not an option. I'm going to share with you a passage, and honestly, I probably shouldn't describe it like this, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. It haunts me. Yeah, I, that's probably not the best word to use, but I can't think of a better word to, to describe the feeling that I get when I look and when I really study the implications of this passage. This passage haunts me. It's a passage where Jesus has come back and he's gathered all of his children home and he's now, he's now directing those righteous who will go on to live eternally with him and he's directing those unrighteous who will go on and live eternally, eternally in punishment and in torment. What's the distinction? What's the metric? Jesus, how do you decide who's in and who's out? How, what, what's going in that moment when you come back, how are, we, how are you going to unpack that? I'm going to just read these words of Scripture. And I want you to hear them. I pray that God will give you fresh ears to hear them in a new way. I'm just going to read what Jesus says. Hear these words. Acts, uh, Matthew chapter 25. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. 
whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I was, I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and, and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then the God of creation will say, go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And this is our Father's word. kind of almost feels awkward to say, thanks be to God. Because we should struggle with that. There's a passage, that, there's this quote that Dr. Waybright puts before us often, and I love it because it really hits me at the core. It's this quote that he tells about this, this general and the emperor, and they're talking about these Christians that they're trying to destroy and trying to do away with. And they're trying to figure out what's their staying power? What's their secret? How do they keep lasting? We keep trying to destroy them and they just keep coming back. What is it about these Christians that give them so much influence and impact in our nation? And this is what he says. Their success lies in their enduring marriages and their charity to strangers. These godless Galileans, by which he meant Christians, support both their own poor and ours as well. Brother, brother mayor of the city, tell me about the churches in your, in your community. Tell me about it. He says, well, let me tell you, the churches in Pasadena, oh, man, it's, it's amazing. We have our government programs where we try to help people and stuff, but we all know government can't fix this problem. So we got our own little things that we're trying to do to help people. But these churches... Not only do they take care of the poor in their own congregation, in their own community, but they take care of all the poor in all the congregations and in all of the communities. What does it look like for us to be known by our charity for strangers? We gather together because we celebrate the impact of this mission and this cross and what it has made for me personally in my own life. Last weekend, we celebrated and we celebrated how, thank you, Jesus, you've impacted my life. Thank you, Jesus, this cross has changed me. But has the community felt the impact that's happened in your life? Or has the impact landed on your couch? The cross has made such a drastic, oh, what a change has come over me. But has that change been felt in your community? Because this transformation not only have to ha- has to happen here, but it has to happen there. 
It can't just stay here. It has to go there. Because if it doesn't go from here to there, then this becomes that. Did you see that? If this doesn't leave your living room, if it doesn't just leave your life, your living spaces, if this cross doesn't leave here and go to there, then these ills, these problems will produce this and we will find ourselves in a perpetual cycle. It has to go from here to there. The Great Commission is the what? The least of these is the who, and those that are lacking is the who. Well, what about the where? Albert, how much does this go? How many neighbors do I have to help? How many people do I have to reach? How many doors down do I go? How many streets do I cover? How big does this thing go? How wide does it go? I'm glad you asked. I got an answer. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He's talking to the disciples, and the disciples uh, are speaking to him in Acts chapter 1, 7 8. Uh, the disciples still, this is Jesus right before he ascends and go to heaven. The, uh, the, the disciples still don't get it. They, they're still trying to figure out, um, now, is, is now the time for the kingdom to come? They, they, they still don't get it. They, they're saying, all right, Jesus, you, okay, you did the whole crucifixion thing, which was really hard for us. And then you died and we really thought it was over. And that wasn't, that wasn't so cool. And then you came back and now you're back and it's really cool. Is now the time to kick the Romans butt or what? Is now the time to take over this world or what? Is now the time, is now the time for the kingdom to come and for us to rule and to reign? Is now the time? He says, no. You still don't get it. It is not for you to know the times and the places of the kingdom of God. But Acts 1, 7 and 8, it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses. Here's the where in both in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. You will be witnesses. How far does this thing go? Let me help you. Jerusalem, our personal life, Pasadena, Judea, California, and yes, the uttermost parts of the world. That's our task, that's our mission. You, you want to irritate me? You, you want to see me really get upset? You want to really see me get hot and bothered? You want to really see me give you a look that I need to pray about? You come up to me, or probably any of the other pastors. Dr. Waybron has admitted that this has happened to him. And he probably handles it much way better than I do. That's probably because it's his age or something. I don't know. But he, I struggle with this one. You, you come up and, and you ask me, and you, this question right here, this question. No, no Albert. Your, your ministry and your church, are you guys... Do you focus on on global outreach, or is your focus on local outreach? What? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my. And preachers aren't supposed to talk like that, but that's just the dumbest thing ever. I want to look up to heaven and say, "Heaven, can I get a pass and just slap them, please?" <laughs> Y'all pray for me, pray for me, because I know this just ain't the right spirit to have. But it's just what? What are you, what are you talking about? Bible say? We can't pick or choose which one we go. We can't just say, you know what, I just want it to be personal or no, I just want it to be local. I want to go global. You can't just go and skip over local in order to go to the mission field in Africa. You okay? <laughs> yeah. You can't 
can't just jump over the realities in your community and in your neighborhood because you want to go out to the world. You can't just ignore the poverty and the deficits and the tragedy that's happening in your backyard so you can go do some Christian tourism in Africa. It's like my daddy going to your house and, pick, and fixing your heat at your house and we freezing at my house at night. My daddy can fix your heat as he fixes ours or right before or something. Y'all can get together and fix each other's heat. I don't care, but if you going to sleep good tonight, I want to sleep good tonight. Daddy over at your house. You sitting up talking, yeah, it's so, it was so hot in our house last night. And your daddy, he's so cool. He was just at our house all night. Matter of fact, he just decided to sleep over. I bet he did. It was warm in your house. The answer to the question, do y'all do, y'all do local or do y'all do global? Yes. Because the Bible says we'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So yes, We have to do it all, and guess what? We have to do it all well. We can't be so consumed with what's happening locally that we ignore what's happening globally because, friends, when Haiti calls, we have to come. When Chile calls, we have to come. When Hurricane Katrina calls and New Orleans needs our help, we have to come. We've got to show up. Who's going to bring the gospel to North Korea? North Korea is one of the few places in this world that you can live and live a full life and die and never hear the word Jesus Christ. Who's going to go? We have to. We have to do it all and we have to do it well. By now, at this point in my sermon, you should be feeling a little overwhelmed. You should begin to think, if you're really trying to contextualize this, because it should be real hard to sleep with black guys jumping off the stage at you. <laughs> I wouldn't anticipate you being asleep. But, but, but it's, you should be trying to contextualize, try to wrap your mind around, how can I do this? And as you think about that, you should have this voice that's speaking to you saying, yeah, Albert, <laughs> that's pretty much impossible. I can't do this. That's too much for me to do. And I want to say, you're exactly right. That means I'm doing my job well because you should should be overwhelmed with your insufficiency. Just like the disciples felt. But what did he tell them? He says, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's not going to be your power. It's going to be the power of the Holy Spirit. You won't do the work. It's God's work. You won't deliver the people. God will, and he's going to send his power to do the work. It's not your work. It's the power of the Holy Ghost operating and moving in your life. It's the power of God. You can't do it, but your daddy can says, you, have, you shall receive power to do what? To buy big sectional couches? And parenthetically, I don't have any spiritual issues with sectional couches. I want one one day. Uh, but, but it's not about that. But he's not giving you power to get your sectional paid off in nine months. He's giving you power to what? To be witnesses. Where? To all the nations. From the 
classroom to North Korea. We've got to be witnesses and we can't do it by ourselves. But on the day of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Ghost fell on a community. And I just got a feeling if we come together as a community, your family and my family, her family and his family, and we decide we want to impact this nation, if 12 disciples can turn the world upside down, Lake Avenue can turn it back upside again. We can make the difference. But it has to be community. And it's not our problem. It's God's. It's not our hands. That, it's, not, it's not our work. It's God's work. And he just wants to use our hands. There's a story. There's a story about this guy. He calls his mom and he's complaining. He's saying, Mom, I just, I can't do it. I cannot go another Sunday. He's complaining. He doesn't want to go to church. And she's saying, baby, just go on. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And he's like, Mom, that's the problem. I don't have any joy. I don't want to deal with these people. They don't like me at the church. And Mom, to be honest, I, at times I don't like them. It's just so hard. It's just so hard. She's like, baby, just go ahead and just go. It's like, Mom, I don't want to go. And finally she says, if, if for no other reason, since you're the pastor, just go on and go. He missed it. it. It had become his work instead of God's work. He, he had started trying to do it and deal with the people in his power instead of God's power, and he wondered why he kept getting his results. God says, yeah, I want to do it. I want to bring transformation. It's not going to be in your power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, I've chosen to use you and your hands to make impact in this world. I'll close with this. There's this um, out in, in, in Asia, in, in Thailand, um, I think it's uh, Pattaya, uh, this, this area. And in this area, it's the, 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 the capital of sex tourism. Um, more sex tourism happens in this area than anywhere in the world. Uh, we have missionaries there, the Nelsons, and it's amazing how they are part of this story. But there was this Christian band that went, and they had this festival, and, and, and they invited this Christian band to go, and it was this, 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 this alleyway where you would see 8-year-old, 13, 14-year-old girls going up in rooms with 60-year-old men. Um, this Christian band, they got there, they realized they had been asked to play in this bar called the Climax. And the Climax, it was, um, it was a brothel. They said, we, you got two hours, a two-hour worship set you can play here in this brothel. The key is you got to bring your friends and they got to buy a lot of drinks. So historically, that night, that place sold more Coca-Colas than they ever have in the history of its existence. Because they packed it with these Christian friends and they all bought Cokes all night. They started worshiping. The worship leader said as he looked out, he saw these little girls. He saw prostitution deals happening. He saw these old drunken men grabbing and manipulating and taking advantage of these young girls. He said as tears began to stream down his face, it, seemed like a darkness was just over this city. And if there was ever a, a visual of, of what evil looked like, it was right before him. And this darkness and the depression and the dysfunction that he was looking at. And he, this band, as they were, they were just kind of playing and doing music, they, they kind of hit this, this chord progression. 
And they played this chord progression over and over again. And he said the Spirit of the Lord began to speak to him. And like an Old Testament prophet, he, used to, he, he began to give him these prophetic words. And he began to say these words with this chord progression. With this chord progression. He just began to sing these words. He began to look out and look at these people, look at these girls, and look at these men. And he began to say, you're the God of this city. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. God, you are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope for the hopeless. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. And he began to look out. And he says he, he felt like Jeremiah or like he just felt like one of these old prophets that just would declare, although it didn't look like this. He just began to sing out to the top of his lungs as if he was crying and welling. He said, greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. He began to shout and proclaim to the top of his lungs, greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. Because regardless of what it looked like, regardless of how bad it was, he looked out and he declared and he says, God, you're the God of this city. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. And you're not done. So yes, greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done here in this city. In Lake Avenue Church, I want to stand and tell you, we are not to be crippled by fear. We are not supposed to be overwhelmed with statistics. But we are to stand and declare because we believe in the God of this city. We believe in the God of these people. We believe in the Lord of this nation and we can look around at the stats at the tragedy at the calamity and say greater things are yet to come greater things are still to be done right here in this city because the god of this city wants to use you to bring justice to this city. The God of this city wants to use you to bring redemption to this city, restoration to this city, salvation to this city, healing to this city, joy to this city, hope to this city. The God of this city wants to use you, your hands, your life, the impact that's been made in you by the cross to impact and to transform this city. I'm telling you, God wants to use you because this mission, this gospel, it's not just personal. It's local. It's global. And it has to go from here to there to his glory. Amen.